0: Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of Thessalonians. This is the the epistle of of Thessalonians to the church of Thessalonica. They believe in the return of Christ, but they have some questions. We have seen in chapter 1 that we are to be a faithful church, and it tells us what a model church looks like. A model church is one that has a love that labors, it has a faith that functions, and it has a hope that hangs on. That's exactly what the kind of church that God calls us to be. There are those who have plenty to say about what the church is supposed to be like. Well we're going to, the church should be doing more of this, the church should be doing more of that, and this is what God says we are to be. We come to chapter two and Paul is going to use himself as an example, a model Of spiritual leadership. What does it look like to be a leader? Now along with the question of what does the church, what is the church supposed to look like, uh, you can get uh, hundreds of different answers about what a leader is. Probably the most common answer that I've gotten is from people, well I'm not one. Well you, we think, well I don't want to be in a position of authority. I don't want to, I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to be up front. I don't want to be a person who has that responsibility. Someone has said that the problem with being a leader is these days that you don't know whether the crowd behind you is following you or chasing you. I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. Someone else said that if you think you're a leader, look behind you. If there's no one there, you may just be a man taking a walk, and that's probably true as well. What is a spiritual leader? Well, simply put, leadership is is just influence. And we all, whether we think we are a leader or have a position of leadership, we all have influence on someone else or in someone else's life. Sometimes that's a negative influence, sometimes it's a positive influence. But what is spiritual leadership? And Paul is going to distinguish this in this chapter from just what we would say is leadership. You can find all sorts of books about leadership. You can even find some that are based on biblical principles but there's a difference between Bible-based leadership and biblical leadership. Biblical leadership is spiritual leadership, and that's what Paul is going to describe here. What is spiritual leadership? Well, a spiritual, leadership, a spiritual leader is anyone who influences another person for their spiritual benefit and the glory of God. I'm going to repeat that because I really want you to get that. You're going to hear me say that throughout this sermon. Spiritual leader is a person who influences another person for their spiritual benefit and for the glory of God. You can be a leader. There are people who have great leadership skills. There have been dictators through the years that have had some leadership skills, but they were not moral or biblical or spiritual leaders. This is the kind of leadership that every single one of us, the kind of influence. The influence someone else for their spiritual benefit. Problem is is that often our influence may sway people the other way. What does Paul have to say about this? This morning as we look at this passage, we would say, well, you know, I'm not an apostle. This is Paul. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a church planner like Paul was, and these guys we just saw on the screen. That's not me. These same principles and truths that we will see in this chapter are the same principles that apply to each one of us in our spiritual leadership responsibility. And they apply to us and they they matter to us, they guide us. They're going to distinguish between this is what a leader is and this is what a spiritual leader is. In this passage, Paul describes his leadership in founding the Thessalonian church. And there are four marks of distinction that I want you to see as we work our way through this chapter. The first is, is that a spiritual leader has a distinct commission. We have a distinct commission. A lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't have a call to be a leader. Yes, there is, there is, God gives a specific call to certain areas of leadership and ministry. There is a call to pastor. There is a call to uh, be a missionary. There are certain calls. But every one of us has a commission of the gospel. We have been given the great commission. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance into unto you, that it was not in vain, it was not purposeless, it was not empty, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. If you want to go later back to the book of Acts, you can read how shamefully treated they were at Philippi. They then moved to Thessalonica and he says, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. In Thessalonica, the book of Acts tells us some believed and there were some Greeks, some Gentiles that believed and many of the prominent women in the city believed and heard what Paul said and that's who Paul is talking about. But there was also great contention. What is the message they are proclaiming? It is the gospel of God. Now notice verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Paul did not try to manipulate a response to the gospel. He simply proclaimed the message of the gospel in its power. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the message that we have been commissioned with? It is the message of Jesus Christ. The good news, the word gospel simply means good news. The good news is, is that though we are sinners and deserve punishment and deserve hell, God sent His own Son to die in our place so that we don't have to suffer that punishment and that through His grace, we can be brought back into a relationship with Him. And that's the message that Paul was preaching. But notice verse four, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Do you see the commitment here? Do you see the commission? Here is the message that God has given to us and He didn't give it just to Paul, He gives it to every believer. What is the Great Commission? Go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them to observe. A lot of times we think of the Great Commission. Oh, that's the missionaries going around the world to preach the gospel. But it's more than just preaching the gospel. It is establishing and identifying with Christ through baptism and through gathering with local believers. And then it is learning and growing in Christ. So, the commission of the gospel, the gospel is more than just being saved. The gospel influences every part of our lives. And that's what we are to teach, and that's what we are, and that is why every single one of us has a part in this. I'm talking to parents this morning, I'm talking to grandparents, I'm talking to uncles and aunts, I'm talking to school teachers, I'm talking to Sunday school teachers, I'm talking to any person who has someone in their life that they have a measure of influence with. How will you use that influence? Will you use it for their spiritual benefit and for God's glory? That's spiritual leadership. And every single believer is commissioned. We have a special, we have a distinct commission. A lot of people are waiting for that special call. And yes, God does call, but don't wait on the call to be faithful to the commission. There's a great story of one of the kings in Europe during the 11th century, and he went to the local monastery, and he went to the prior that was over it, and he said, I want to to serve God. I want to be obedient to Christ for the rest of my life. I want to serve Him, and I'll do whatever He tells me to do. And the monk very wisely looked at him and he said, you promise you'll do whatever you'll do whatever I tell you to do? You'll do whatever God tells you to do? And he said, yes, absolutely. He said, then go back to your throne and rule for him. Serve him where he placed you. And they said, that's exactly what that king did. That he realized that his place of commissioning, his place of service was exactly where God had placed him. And this is what was said of him. It was said, the king learned to rule by being obedient to Christ. God wants us to learn to do our job for His glory by being obedient to Christ. So it doesn't matter. I look around this morning and I see some maybe some spiritual royalty, but I don't see any kings or queens here this morning. But I do see those who are working in various jobs. I see those that are working in plants and factories and those that are teaching in schools and those that are running their businesses and those that are engaged in um, all sorts of work. Do you know that God has placed you where you are to serve Him, to glorify Him, and to influence those around you for their spiritual benefit and for His glory? God has put you where you are for such a time as this. A lot of times, I know we've got a number of our graduates with us this morning, a lot of times graduates are wondering. Well, is God going to call me? Maybe God did call me. What am I going to do? We're not certain. I always always feel for graduates because they get bombarded. The joy of their graduation year is is just squelched by constantly hearing, what are you going to do next? Three of my favorite words that sometimes I answer many questions with this. I don't know. Three, Learn those words. Learn those words. They're really helpful in life. But we, what, what are we going to do? Let me tell you, be obedient to God, be submitted to Him, serve Him, be a spiritual influence where He has placed you, because that is where God has you for such a time as this. That's the commission that we are given. Now, along with this commission, we can expect some opposition. He said, when we went to Philippi, man, we we had a lot of tough times. It doesn't just bring opposition, it changes our motivation. In verse 5, he said, or verse 4, he said, "We did this not pleasing men but pleasing God." Here's the great here's the great freedom of this. Paul will say in Colossians that when we serve this way, when we think this way, we do not work for man, we work for God. You ever wish you could get away from the person you work for? Now, husbands, I'm not talking about your wives. I know what some of you automatically, where your, your mind went with that. No, I'm talking about sometimes, sometimes we have bosses that are just not the best in the world. What we have to remember is who we're really working for. You say, wait a minute, I thought working for God meant going and getting a job at the church or being a mission. No, no. He said, you serve Christ. You serve not not as pleasing man, but as pleasing God. There's the great understanding, the great sacredness of our vocation. Do you know what the word vocation means? It is a calling. It is what God, it is where He has commissioned us to live and to serve and to influence. And we do that, and when when we join this mindset, when we grasp this mindset then it is not the human that pays us our check that we are working for. It is God that we are working for. And it transforms where we are into a commission to influence others for Christ, for their spiritual benefit, and for God's glory. Now, that happens in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's a grandmother that just speaks wisdom and truth to a grandchild. I can't tell you the number of people that I've heard say, "Wow, I sure miss I, my grandmother taught me so much." Or my grandfather was a godly man. He wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a missionary, but he was a he was a faithful servant of God and he loved God and when he spoke he spoke the truth and it influenced me so much. Maybe it's an uncle, maybe it's an aunt, maybe it's a 70-something-year-old Sunday school teacher like I had when I was 8 years old, Marie Kramer, and the influence that she had on my life. And I don't remember the, the lessons that she taught, but I remember the faithfulness to God that she lived out. And it influenced me. She was a leader in my life. That's the kind of influence that I'm talking about, and we are commissioned to do that, and it changes our motivation. Distinction number one, We have a distinct commission. Number two, Paul says, we have a distinct compassion. This has to be done out of compassion. I love how Paul describes this. Look in verse 7 and verse 8. He says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. It's the idea of a mother caring for her children. Gentle. I love the fact that Paul, here's these rough Manly apostles. And to describe the gentleness with which they led and taught and expounded the word and shared the gospel, he uses this very feminine imagery of a mother caring for a child. Now, we often know that sometimes dads are not always very gentle with their children. I'll guarantee you that when I was a child and I was sick, I never woke up in the middle of the night calling for my dad. Because I knew exactly what I was going to get or not get. I'd call for my mom. Uh, We were students in our church's school, and so at school we had to refer to all the teachers with Mr. and Mrs. And my mom was one of our teachers. And so one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a fever and I was sick, and she heard me calling from the other room, Mrs. Cloud. I called for her because of her compassion and her care. Now, fathers have a role, and we'll see this in just a moment, but there's that compassion, and Paul says, that's the way we treated you. We cared about you. We weren't trying to beat you into submission. We weren't trying to cram this information into your head. We were gently entreating you. The gentleness, a distinct compassion... And then the graciousness, look in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our own souls because you were dear to us. He says, we cared so much about you. Look, this kind of influence isn't so we can have a notch on our belt. Won another one to Christ, taught another lesson, shared another time of discipleship, No, this is out of a heart of compassion and love for the person that you're trying to influence. That person that you care about, that person that you love, you want their spiritual benefit, you want their spiritual well-being. And so Paul says, we didn't just give you the gospel, we poured out our souls. We would have given our souls for you as well. Paul would put his life at risk So that others may hear the gospel. That's the kind of compassion that Paul had. It's not just just gentle, but it is gracious in the sense that it is self-sacrificial. That's the kind of influence that is called for. When we look to the return of Christ, that's the kind of heart we need to have. Sunday school teachers, don't just be satisfied that you've gone through the lesson and you've covered all the points of the lesson. Be satisfied when you have communicated the truth of Scripture to those that you are teaching in a way that changes their life. Discipleship and spiritual leadership is about life transformation. So there's a distinct compassion. There's a distinct commitment. Look in verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto you. We preached unto you the gospel. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Do you see how many times the gospel's cropping up in this? This is a distinct leadership. This is not just someone who has natural leadership abilities. It is about the gospel. It is about, I, I say this because it's the simplest way I know how to explain it. It's about getting people closer to God. This is God. The person who has away from God is the person who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Our spiritual influence should be exerted and used to share the gospel with them. Why? So they will trust Christ as their savior and enter into a relationship with God. But when they do, the Bible describes that as the they are a baby Christian. They are babes in Christ. They are infants in Christ. What is the purpose of a family with an infant? It is to raise that child in an environment where they will grow into full maturity in Christ, to be like an adult. And that is our, that's our goal, to move gradually through our spiritual influence, whether it's our own children, or whether it's children around us, children in our families, whether it's another believer, whether it's someone on the job, whether it's someone in our neighborhood, whatever the case may be, friends, that we, are, we want to get them closer to God. Let me tell you, there are some people who are way, they're not even just on the edge, man, they're down on the floor. They're a long way. And it may take time and it may take effort. And you say, well, preacher, I I don't think I'm qualified to do that. Yes, you are. God has specifically gifted you and He has placed you and He has equipped you and He has empowered you by the Holy Spirit to accomplish this kind of influence. And don't think that it's up to your skill. People say, well, you know, I, I, I don't share the gospel because I think I'm afraid I won't do it right. Let me tell you that I don't know that I've ever walked away from sharing the gospel that I didn't think I could have done better. But the salvation power is not in how well I do it. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the life transforming truth is not in how well I preach a sermon or teach a lesson or have a conversation. The power is in the truth of God's Word that radically changes people and changes their lives and transforms them into Christ's likeness. And so I need to have this commitment to labor, he says, and travail and to proclaim the truth. That is our task. That is our, do we have that kind of commitment? There's a great story from the Revolutionary War how General Washington, George Washington, stood before a group of his his officers and he knew that they were some there was some talk among them of rebelling against him and taking his his role and kicking him out there were others who wanted his role we don't always remember how precarious our nation sat at that point they had, many of them had not been paid and they didn't know all the details and so washington gathered them together, and they were, some of them, very angry at him, and he reached in his pocket and pulled out a letter from a member of Congress that was going to explain the financial situation and why they were not able to get the funds there, and as he did that, he began to read, but then he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a pair of readers, a pair of spectacles, and he put them on and he said, gentlemen, you will have to excuse me because not only have I grown gray in the service of my country, I have almost grown blind. At that moment, they said it really had very little to do with what he actually read, but the reminder of his commitment to the cause began to change their hearts. And it says that some of them even began to weep. And from that point on, the tide was turned. They rallied behind Washington. Let me tell you that it takes being willing to sacrifice. It takes parents you want to teach your children, you want to influence them for God, it will take years and they will make choices and they will make decisions that that seem as if they have forgotten everything you have ever said to them. But God is the one who does the work. We simply sow the seeds. We simply pour our lives into them. We pour out our souls. Sunday school teachers, you may feel like you've taught for years and there's no difference in those that you're teaching to. Grandparents, you may have prayed for your children and your grandchildren for years, and you may feel like there's no difference, your influence means nothing, but it is God who does the work. We simply are faithful in giving a committed influence and a committed life to their cause to benefit for their spiritual benefit and for the glory of God. A distinct commitment. Notice, lastly, number four, the difference between... a leader and a spiritual leader, a spiritual leader has a distinct cause. What we're doing this for, what is our goal? What is the cause that we're serving for? What are we trying to accomplish? Parents, are you trying to just have outward transformation in the life of your kids? Some parents are satisfied if their kids behave in public. I remember one lady, Lynn, was standing in the line at a post office one day. And this lady was describing what had happened with her kids, and she said, I've come to the conclusion that if my kid's not on drugs and in jail, I did a pretty good job. So, wow, that's setting the bar pretty, pretty low there. That's the, that's the mentality. We're just, well, we're just trying to, as long as they behave, as long as they don't kick and scream and Cracker Barrel when we're eating, and everybody around me doesn't get, a, don't get embarrassed by them. not speaking from any personal experience here whatsoever. I just randomly pulled that from my, We're happy with outward conforming rather than inward transforming. And unfortunately, it's the same in the church. Very often, if people conform outwardly, we've been satisfied with that. I'm talking about with spiritual influence, there's a different cause. We've got a higher purpose and a higher goal. Our pastors, as they serve in their various areas of ministry, it is not just to get seats in the seats. And it's not just to be able to accomplish the work that goes on. It is to see them transformed into the image of Christ. Notice what Paul says here in verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted And comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. You've got the care of a mother, the compassion of a mother. You've got the instruction and the admonition of a father. Why? Here it is in verse 12. That you walk worthy of God. That you walk worthy of God. The ultimate goal of spiritual leadership is the spiritual well-being of the follower. It's the spiritual well-being of the person that we're seeking to influence. That's That's the end goal. That you walk worthy. Or as we heard put very clearly and succinctly Wednesday night, follow Christ. Walk worthy. Live like a believer should. Live like Christ. Follow Him. Model yourself after Him. That's, the, that's what Paul says is our goal. That's the cause. That's what we're trying to accomplish. That's what we're trying to do. If God is working in us, our goal is for God to be glorified through Christ's formation in the person that we're leading. To put all this together, how do we bring this into one truth? Every believer is commissioned to to lovingly influence another for the spiritual benefit, for their spiritual benefit, and for the glory of God. The question is, are we committed to doing that? Oh, well, Pastor, I could never teach a class. I'm not saying I teach a class. I don't, have any, I don't have any children around me. Well, it doesn't have to be a child. It doesn't have to be your family member. It may be somebody that you work with. Somebody came to me sometime back and said, you know, I want you to pray for me because I really feel like God wants to use me in my place of work. And I have, I'm, we're not allowed to be very open about our sharing the gospel, but I believe that God can use me in some way to influence them. I'm reminded, I can't remember the full story, but I'm reminded, I believe it was William Carey or one of the great missionaries that spoke of the cobbler that lived in his town and how he saw making shoes as his task in life, and he used that job to bring glory to God and to be a witness to Christ. It doesn't matter what our job is. It may be education, it may be law enforcement, it may be the medical field. We are commissioned to be a spiritual influencer. Let me point out one closing thing to you, Kenna. I'm gonna do it anyway, but I'm gonna ask your permission. Look at the last two verses. Remember what this book is about? It's about Christ coming back. Verse 19, what is our hope or joy or our crown of rejoicing? Are not even you, you are our hope, you are our joy, you are our crown of rejoicing, In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for you are our glory and joy. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Christ comes back to stand before him with those that we have influenced? We think that the ones who are going to stand with their heads high at Christ's return are the ones who are the keynote speakers at conferences the ones who have written books, the ones who have pastored great churches, the missionaries that have done all these wonderful things, and yes, there are many of them who will receive a reward, but I want to say to you this morning that there are going to be some who will stand with glory and with joy and with a crown of rejoicing that you've never heard of, that I've never heard of that the world has never heard of, but they were faithful in the realm of influence that God gave them. Maybe it was a a little corner in the wilderness, and they were faithful. Do you remember the old song we used to sing as kids? Brighten the corner where you are. And that's what they did. And to stand there before Christ, and Paul says, the people that I have influenced, they're my crown of rejoicing. They're my joy. You never know who you've touched. Who will commit this morning to spiritual leadership? Christ is coming back. And we desperately need spiritual leaders more than ever. Will you do it? Graduates, some of you just starting out, you say, well, wait a minute, I hadn't got myself established. No, you have influence. Parents, you have influence. Dad, Mom, grandparents. Oh, nobody listens to me. Nobody pays attention to me. Yes, they do. I'll guarantee you they do. Someone's watching your life and your spiritual influence. I read some uh, time back an article by a man by the name of Cal Thomas. Some of you may have heard of Cal Thomas. He was a commentator and a writer and a speaker. He wrote an article called "Dear God, Please Don't Let Me Be a Christian Leader." <laughs> I love the title. He said he wondered, he said he was introduced at a conference once as a Christian leader, and he said, I didn't really know what that meant. He thought maybe, maybe when I sign books, I can put a verse of scripture, I'm supposed to put a verse of scripture with it. He thought maybe, he said, well, maybe it means now that I, I get to sign Bibles. So he said he felt like that was always sort of a strange thing, since he didn't write the book, he didn't know whether he should sign it or not. But he said he realized what, what they meant was is that he had made a name for himself. He said, in a church I once attended, there was a man of tremendous faith. His wife was an alcoholic. His daughter had psychological problems. He was often poor in health, yet week after week he never complained. He always smiled and asked me how I was doing. He faithfully brought to church a young blind man who had no transportation. He always sat with the man, helping him sing the hymns by saying the words into his ear. That man, Thomas says, was a Christian leader if there ever was one. Who will commit to Christian leadership, to spiritual leadership? God has placed somebody in your life that you can influence and that you can lead. And one day when Christ comes back, you may not even be aware of it, but you will stand there and you will see the glory of Christ reflected in their life because you have led. Will you bow with me for prayer? This morning we're going to have a verse of invitation, a time of invitation. Here's what I want to ask you. Who has God put in your heart as you've heard this text and this truth? Who has God put in your heart that you have some measure of influence with? That you have some leadership with. And as God puts them on your heart, maybe this morning you need to come and say, God, I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to being a leader. I want to be a spiritual leader on my job. I want to be a spiritual leader in my home. I want to be a spiritual leader in my community. I want to be a spiritual leader in my church. God, I want you to use me. I want to invite you to come kneel at this altar and say, God, help me. Help me to be a spiritual leader. Maybe this morning, you don't know. You don't know who you can influence. You don't know who it is, but you'll say, God, I want to. Please show me. Please open up the opportunity. Show me who I can make a difference with. Whatever God may speak to you about this morning, maybe there's somebody that's a burden on your heart. Maybe it's a family member, a child, a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor, God has burdened you about them and you want to come and pray for them this morning. Whatever the need might be, let's be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. Father, speak to us in this hour.